Hello, and welcome to episode 148 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one paragraph on a time at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with J.D. Alive, who is the writer of Harvest Moon, now on Kickstarter. Retired cop Jack Shane is determined to prove he's still got what it takes five years after he faced off with the fierce pentagram killer. The grizzly cop is still on the hunt for a perp, copycat perp, excuse me, who is carving the victim's hands with bloody stars. JD, thanks so much for joining us. Before we uh, talk more in depth about this book, why don't you uh, start us off with a quick bio about yourself and the, the stuff that you make? Yeah, hi, uh, my name is JD Oliva. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a comic writer who's now making the foray into being a novelist. Um, I've been writing, I guess, I guess you can call it professionally for, for about a decade now. Um, the novels thing I jumped into about two years ago. Uh, I have nine novels out to my credit. So uh, that's kind of what I'm up to right now. Very cool. So um, this is primarily a comic book podcast. Right. And you said that you started off with, uh, or you, you do have a background in comics, mm -hmm. uh, but you've been pretty sort of prolific in the, in the novel writing here right lately, haven't you? Yeah, the last two years have been um, have been pretty much you know dedicated to to writing some novels, so that's kind of where the focus has been the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the novels, uh, and since we're primarily a comics mm -hmm. podcast, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your comics work. Um, sure. What were we what were some of your first comics? The first book I did, I, I'm, uh, I'm a graduate of the Andy Schmidt uh, Comics Experience School. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe I was in his pilot and online program about a decade ago now. Um, we did a Kickstarter way back in 2011 for my first book, Deluge, which uh, won a few small press awards. You know, it was, uh, it was a pretty good seller on Comixology Submit in the early days of Comixology Submit. So that was pretty cool. We later got picked up by Comics Experience and IDW and had the book published there. Which was, which was a lot of fun. I did a, a Kickstarter for another book I had called uh, Red Sunrise back in 2017, uh, which was a, a digital exclusive book. And um, yeah, that, those, are the, those are the comics things I did. Um, it was mainly uh, financial reasons that led me into focusing on prose a little bit more. Um, doing Deluge cost a lot of money out of my pocket, even with the Kickstarter. And uh, it was hard for me to get comics really going because my wife quite frankly, close the purse strings. So okay. it's a little bit a matter of, well, I can, I can just write um, a book on my own and uh, not have to really worry about paying because I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I can't be the guy who says, hey, I need you to work for free for me. Like I never felt comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, it was, uh, it was a financial move. I'm, I'm not done with comics. I still have a couple more I'm, I'm planning on doing. I'm writing a project with a guy who did the art for my Kickstarter book. So this is just, uh, just kind of what I'm playing in right now. So I'm having fun having fun doing some novels, but um, I'll definitely, comics is my first love. I'll definitely always come back to it. Okay, cool. And so do you find that uh, it was an easy sort of transition, flipping that switch to focusing on, on comics writing to, to writing prose where you like, does like sort of like the outlining structure of a, of a comic sort of blend itself to outlining for, for a novel? For me, it's been, it's been relatively the same. Like I said, everything I know about writing, I picked up from Andy Schmidt. Like, um, it, it's been interesting to me that in it, the people I've met in prose, there's a, a movement called pantsing, where you figure out, you, you just start writing the book and you let it evolve as you go along. Coming from the world of comics, there's nothing I think is crazier than not having a plan mm -hmm. going in. So, I mean, like, I just as my discipline, like, I can't write something if I don't know where it's going. I can't write something if I don't have it beaten out. So those are the things, that's like that structure of how to, how to create a story 
has really helped me out as far as being a prose writer. So I can, I can knock out the first chapter of prose book in less than a month. And that's mainly because of the, the discipline and the, the tactics that I picked up as a comic writer. Like something else that, that's important to me is like, um, I'm economical with my writing. Like I, my books tend to be around 65, 70,000 words. And, and that just comes from, from comics where like when you're writing a script is your, your brief. Like, you know, you don't want to overdo it with, with dialogue. You don't want to overdo it with descriptions. So my stuff tends to be like, it tends to follow a good pace. It tends to keep things moving. And that's another skill I picked up from comics. Something else is uh, my chapters tend to be short. Like around, I, I tend to write about a thousand words per chapter. And it's in my mind, it's like writing a scene for a comic, right? So what's in a typical comic scene, two to three pages. So I mean, it's the same kind of thing as you don't want to wear out your welcome. You get it done. You, you create this, you create the moment, you know, you have your character, you know, your shifting of power going on and then you end the chapter with a little bit of a cliffhanger or a question, just like that page turn. Now you get to the bottom of a page in a comic, you look at that last panel and it should motivate you to turn the page. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've taken that exact same approach into writing prose. So when you get to the bottom of a chapter, like I try to give you a reason to turn the page, like be a question or, or what's going to happen to this character or something, you know, just the goal is to get you to get to that next chapter. So I mean, then that's all skills I picked up from comics. Like, um, I'm a far less disciplined writer if I don't come from comics. Very cool. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that before the the podcast and I was thinking about something sort of like, uh, you know, like, like a thriller, a mystery sort of like in your, your Da Vinci code. A lot of that was like that last sentence was like, I dare you to stop reading now. You know, you want to figure out what this problem, this character's encountered or this major revelation. So there's a lot of sort of like that, you know, that either like the last paragraph or the last sentence of, of, a, of a mystery th- thriller that's sort of like that, that cliffhanger in a comic. Yeah, and that's exactly like, that's the, that's the same genre I write. And I write supernatural thriller for the most part. So if they're, they're like, um, they're like typical thriller books, but they all have a supernatural bend to them. So every time you get to that end of that chapter point, you need to, you need to give your audience motivation to keep going. Right. Especially when you're writing like me pretty, you know, not to say short books, but like, you know, average length books. It's like, I want them to finish fast. So they go to the next one. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't financially, it doesn't help me if they spend a whole month reading a book. Like I want them to knock it out in a few days. So that hopefully they go on to the next one. So it's again, same as comics. Like, you know, you want to get them come back month to month. I want to keep them coming back. That's why you write long series. Like there's so many, there's so many applicable lessons that come from writing comics that can be, that can be brought into prose, especially this new market of prose being an indie writer you you don't live and die in one book. You live and die in writing multiple books and getting guys to, to people keep coming back, getting people to fall in love with the characters. And that's exactly the kind of lessons you learn from even just reading comics, monthly comics specifically, is what entices a reader to return. So I mean those are this is the new world of, of prose writings like created by Amazon. It's it all has the same DNA as, as monthly comic books. Yeah, I think uh, I used to listen to a, a podcast. Uh, it was called like the Self Publishing Podcast. Yeah, good show. Yeah, and those guys. A lot of it was about like sort of like building like a like a sales funnel, like hooking yep. hooking a reader with either you know like a. Um, and this is a lot of things that like people do with like indie comics, you know, they'll offer you like a mini comic to like to bring you in. Uh, but a lot of that was like, hey, you know, that first book is sort of an entry point, but you want to keep keep you know them in that sales funnel so i think there's a lot of sort of the same sort of business idea in indie comics as in, in indie you know publishing it's identical man it's like a lot of the lessons i picked up from tyler james in, in comics launch is just it's again get, throw something at someone for free 
hopefully they buy into it and they like it. They sign up for your email list and then, then you've kind of got them for the most part, you know, you can, and then you just keep giving them stuff and occasionally throw something free at them so that they feel appreciated. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep coming back for more. And that's, that's the goal. Like I'm a, I'm a big subscriber to the thousand true fans theory. And mm-hmm. you've got to constantly be reaching for those thousand fans. And so um, whatever, whatever I can do to, to help them in. And a lot of my readers tend to also be comics readers. You know, I don't, this is the reason I'm doing this Kickstarter. Is I, I tend not to, I tend not to do as as well with the people who live and die on Amazon and only read books through Amazon. My readers tend to be people who like horror movies or you know like John Wick type stuff or read comic books. So I have to, I can't rely on like the 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 tried and true um, novelist tricks. Like I have to dig back into my comics roots because those are the people who like my stuff which is fine because I'm the people like my stuff, like they're people like me. So I, I kind of know how to, how to get to them. So again, that's, these are all lessons that I've cobbled together from being a comics writer. And I've just found a world that it, it works for me right now and I'm happy playing in it. Nice. And so you, earlier you said you write a lot of sort of supernatural sort mm-hmm. of mystery. Uh, what were some of like uh, some of your favorite authors that might've influenced you or authors that you, that you listen to now that you are not listening to that you read that are sort of, uh, you know, might somebody might see the, the connection or the influence there. I'm a big Stephen King fan. Like he was my favorite writer growing up. And to this day, I, I really enjoy reading his stuff. So I mean, as far as a horror writer goes, I mean, he's, the most prolific horror writer, you know, of the 20th century for sure. And, and has bled over to the next century. So he's, he is number one guy as far as like influencing kind of the way my brain operates toward that supernatural side. I really like Brad Meltzer um, mm-hmm. as far as just straight thriller goes. I, I mean, um, I've gotten a lot of influence by how he, how he does his, how he does his chapter breakdowns. I'm a big fan of the indie space with guys like Mark Dawson and Adam Croft. Those are guys that, that I really connect with as far as um as what i read on the prose side so yeah man that's uh i, I like I, I tend to i tend to cling to um to the thriller stuff i do like horror but i'm not my stuff like i said I, the kind of horror that i write is the stuff that that appeals to me which is more uh character based less i'm just going to grab you and try to spook you more like we're trying to, to create a world where strange things happen and and the horror is in the characters less than you know boo kind of stuff you know yeah, that would make sense with, with Stephen King, because a lot of the, the Stephen King is the, you know, if you think of something like it, it's the, yeah. the relationship between the kids is so much of that book. And then it's like, you know, a couple of pages of, of scares are, are going in, you know, in, into a situation that's a little, uh, you know, suspenseful. But a lot of that book is just sort of making you care about those, the, those people in, in the story. Absolutely. Writing at its core is all about creating good characters. So you can have this sweet you know, high concept that brings people in. But I mean, like how often do you see a movie or you read a book or something like that where you can't tell, you cannot remember the character's name when you walk out of the theater, when you put the book down. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't connect with you on, a, on a, a big level. And I find that to be a lot of horror movies or like that, especially not so much the current ones, but I mean like stuff that was going on in the mid to that in the 2000s, late 90s, it was more about um, high concept and creating interesting characters. So for me, it's all about character. Like I try to have, like we wrote this big, this big werewolf um, supernatural serial killer thing, but it's really about a father-son relationship, you know, and that's, that's the core of the story. So, and then the werewolf is, is definitely more metaphorical, but it also, we are into it. It's, it's scary. So, you know, but without, without characters that are real, that you can, that you can feel, that you can sympathize with, what are you doing? You know, you're not, you're not giving people a reason to come back either. Because that's what gets people to come back is, is they care about characters. 
Nice. Yeah. Um, and actually, while you were you mentioned some of your influence, I thought one thing that was interesting is there's certainly um, Stephen King and Brad Meltzer are guys that dabble in in both. You know, right. Stephen Stephen King was part of uh, American Vampire for mm-hmm. a while. Brad Meltzer's also done a lot of stuff at DC, and Stephen King's uh, son Joe Hill is you know heavy into the comics. So um, that uh, that w- that would make sense. Yeah, it's, that's my DNA. And I discovered Brad Meltzer through his Green Arrow run. Because I think he was running that when I was in college. And it was through through reading his stuff on Green Arrow, I think I picked up the Book of Lies? I forget. I forget which book. I, book of Fate was the mm-hmm. first book I picked up from Brad Meltzer. And I was pretty much hooked on his stuff ever since. You know, uh, Stephen King, same deal. I discovered Joe Hill from uh, Lock and Key. And then immediately went and picked up uh, Heart Shaped Box and Horns. And uh, no, no, NOS 42, Nosferatu, I'm not sure I'm supposed to pronounce it, but I mean, those are, those are three fantastic horror novels written mm-hmm. in the 21st century that are great. Joe Hill might be as good as The Old Man, but Stephen King just has such a, uh, such a diverse library where, I mean, you can scratch your horror itch reading it, but then you can also read the Dark Tower stuff that's, you know, not quite high fantasy, but definitely plays in that world a little bit more. So, I mean, I, I click with it on, on so many levels like that. Awesome. Well, I certainly want to go into Harvest Moon, but uh, before before we do that, uh, to to have written so many books that you have in this this time, it seems like you have to be a pretty disciplined writer. So, do you have something like uh, like a word count that you you shoot for um, each day or a week? Do you are you trying to do a certain amount of work? When um, discipline is everything, and um, without it, it's hard to get anything done. Um, I'm, I'm an athlete, like I, I was a college wrestler, so I, I'm good at setting, like um, I'm good at setting routine for myself and I'm really, I'm good about setting goals and being disciplined. The goal is to hit 3000 words a day. I don't always get it. If I hit two, I'm okay with it. If I don't hit those numbers, I, I tend to try to make up for it the next day. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. The goal is to hit around 3000 words. And I've got to the point now where I can set a timer and I'll write, I'll do writing sprints. I can go for about 45 minutes. I can hit a thousand words. And then uh, I take a break, come back some other, some other point during the day, do another 45 minutes, hit a thousand words. So that, that's in a perfect day. They're not always perfect days. Um, primarily I'm a dad right now. My, my wife is the breadwinner in the family. So we've got a four-year-old home during a pandemic. So mm-hmm. the early part of the early part of my days is, is all about him. And then I work primarily late afternoon into evening. So I'll stay up till about one or two in the morning and then I'm up at seven. So that's just kind of the way it goes. Okay. And with, uh, do you have like, with these writing sprints, do you have times where a lot of it is sort of like uh, a first draft where you're trying your best to turn off that uh, internal uh, editor and, and, and getting stuff done. And then, you know, you might let it sit for a while. Then you come back with a more critical eye. Do you have, you know, different focuses on these, on these writing sprints or these, these chunks of blocks or these chunks of time that you sit down to, to write in? When I was first starting to write, I would write and then I would go back and reread what I did the previous day. And then I, I kept finding that I was focusing more on fixing the next day and not just getting to it. So it was taking forever to write a book. So the, the process I have now is the first draft is just the brain draft. It's whatever felt good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then that takes about a month. And then I take about two weeks and I'll go back to the entire book. And I'll do, I'll rewrite the entire thing in one pass. You know, um, I stick to, I stick to my outlines pretty well, but that's the plan. Like the first draft is just 
draft. It's the garbage draft. It's whatever is in my head at its most raw form. And then I'll go back on the second one with a critical eye and I'm like, okay, this works. This doesn't, um, I need a chapter here. This doesn't work quite as well. And I got pretty good about feeling out the stuff as I'm going through it. We all know something isn't working and then I'll adjust. And then after I get my second draft done, it goes to my editor. She makes a pass through. She'll make suggestions on what needs to be done. Um, Stores for structure goes, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. So ultimately she works for me. If I, if I agree, and I agree with her about 90% of the time, I'll do rewrites based on that on the third draft. Then we send it to the proofreader. She'll make a pass on everything. Um, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty quick writer, but I'm the world's worst typist. Like, so I'll just make, I'll just miss words here and there. And that's her job is to make sure that I'm not, you know, I haven't just screwed up a draft completely. So she, she's invaluable. And then I have an ARC team, an advanced reader team, about 25 people. They get a copy of the book. They're like my last line of defense. They'll read it. I'll get any notes from there. It's usually not story notes. Usually it's just, again, like little, what about this? What about that type of deals? Um, sometimes I'll get, and I didn't like this one as much, which is fine. You can't make everybody happy all the time. But I tend to find if like, you know, 80% of people are good with it. I've got something. All right. And then I'll put it out. So it ultimately, it's about, it winds up being about five drafts before it hits like um, the open world. So that's my, that's my writing process. And then in exchange for those writers, they gave me a review on Amazon. So that's kind of the, the negotiation tactic we have. Cool. And um, is your primary focus once that uh, you've gone through all of those, uh, you know, those rounds with the editors, the proofreader, the, the, the beta readers, um, are you then like formatting it and, uh, you know, uploading it to, to Amazon? I do it all myself. Um, economics is the most important thing right now. Uh, I use draft to digital to create, um, to create my, my files, which is a great free tool. If you're just uploading to Amazon, you can create really great looking eBooks and paperbacks using draft to digital. Um, I haven't, I can't justify the cost of using vellum yet. Uh, I like what draft digital does. Maybe I'll come down the line and I'll stop liking what draft digital does, but right now I'm good with it. And draft digital, cause now I'm going wide. I'm out of, I'm out of being Amazon exclusive. When this Kickstarter ends, the books are going everywhere. So uh, draft to digital is really good about helping you get into those markets. They do take a little bit of a percentage, but that's okay. If I don't, if I don't care as much like um, Amazon, I do it on my own. Kobo, I do it on my own. Apple, I do it on my own, but for every other market, and there's a bunch of little markets out there. Draft to digital does a great job of, of taking care of all that for you. And they take 10%, but I mean, like if they can put it up there, I don't have to worry about, you know, smash words or something like that, or um, some library accounts, like they, they take care of all those things that, eat up a lot of time and you know it's all about time like it's all about how do i utilize the time as good as i can so something a, a platform like draft digital really helps in that regard and i know 2020 is throwing all of us for a loop um but uh yeah you know the the good thing is is that you, you do have this this platform of uh you know digital distribution mm-hmm. um before before the the pandemic and everybody was was staying at home and hopefully being safe uh were you doing like print copies and going to like uh like book conventions and in horror conventions or is it- i had not yet because my first my first book came out in 2018 and that was just a free book i was using it just to build my email list so in 2018 i was just writing and not putting anything out i was just building up my catalog so harvest moon for the first time came out about a year ago this week and that was the first novel i put out so then i put out my four spin-off books from it after that and then by the time it came time to really start you know you know getting out there we we hit a pandemic so i mean i've been writing for two years but like as far as 
being business, that's only been a year for me. So I haven't had the opportunity. Um, that being said, I really don't, I'm not really good in those type of environments. Like I'm, I think I'm comfortable. Like it's something like this where I can talk to people one-on-one. Um, my own social anxiety hurts a little me a little bit in conventions. I don't, I don't like being there when this is said and done. Maybe that's something I have to get over. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I can, I can very happily be an introvert and, and just worry about doing digital stuff. So it's a lot easier for me that way. But I think at some point I have to start doing that. Yeah. And it's sort of like a truly, um, magical time that you know uh somebody could sit there at a laptop work through something you know work you know via the internet exchanging files and then upload it and then you know we have this huge sort of marketplace that everybody knows and everybody uses that has the ability to then download your book and read it so yeah, it's, it's, it's it's pretty amazing it's um this is why the, the big five publishing world is changing because they're having a hard time adapting is that um, I have friends who are traditionally published who uh, have to pay for their own marketing costs and have to pay for their own marketing campaigns. And I'm like, one, well, and I figured I would probably be in that same boat if I was trying to be traditionally published. So my whole thing is, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. When I can go take Mark Dawson's class, learn Facebook ads on my own, ask questions, get opinions from people, you know, and, build my own campaigns and it's it's work you know like um on amazon students straight up amazon ads on my own like i've gotten thousands of readers that way you know it's been pretty effective on that i haven't had to go out so i mean it's been it's been a it's been good to use the tools i mean like it's not a magic bullet by any stretch i mean you have to do work you have to figure these things out you have to balance the time a little bit but you know how what's your pain point you know what what's important to you. I mean, I'm not at the stage in my career where I can hire like a PR firm or something like that. So I got to do it on my own, you know, and I'm, like I said, I'm okay with it. Like I like, I mean, I have video skills. That's my, that was my day job before the, the pandemic hit. So, I mean, I can, I can make some pretty good looking, you know, uh, Facebook videos. I can make some pretty, my Kickstarter video. I'm, I'm proud of those because I do it on my own. You know, those, mm-hmm. that's a cost I don't have. I don't have to, I don't have to make it. It's just time for me. So um, the marketplace being what it is benefits someone like me that, really just wants to be wants to be a lone gun wants to be on their own you know and it's uh when that when that changes in a couple of years i'll have to change with the tide but for right now it's working so can't complain yeah and I've, i'm drawing a blank on the guy's name i've read a couple of his books but i think like you know he was a traditionally published author and then after a while he just realized that it was more of a benefit to himself to sort of cut out the 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 middleman of the publisher for for him to write something um you know say if it 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 sold for uh you know i'm just throwing out a number but it threw out you know it was like a 6.99 book on uh amazon he would get more money directly from him as opposed to having you know the the publisher you know make a a paperback novel and it go out and he would get a smaller percentage so that's right the average publisher is 30 percent your royalty on Amazon, I have a 70, you know, and like some of their platforms are, are, are 60. That's fine. You know, it's, um, it's, what's it? It's your pain point. It's like, if you have a, and I think like a guy like a Dean Wesley Smith, who has 30 years in the business, it's easier for him. It's harder for someone like me. Who's like starting, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm creating from scratch, but at the same time, like I feel, I feel like no one's going to work harder for me than me, or I'm going to go, take my time on a Saturday afternoon to talk to someone to help promote my books more so than allowing a publisher who might lose interest in me or might not, might not care about marketing the, the, the serial killer werewolf book. 
I do care about that. So I'm going to go out on my own to do it, you know, rather than relying on people. And there's people that they just want to write. They don't really care. And they, they'll spend their time hunting down, like hunting down that agent that's going to give them the big opportunity for the one book. I mean, I don't, I don't trust, I don't trust me writing one book to, to be successful. I, I, I'd feel better if I had a hundred books out, to be honest with you. You know, you got, the more you, the more you throw into the market, the better you're off you're going to be. So that's, that's just me business-wise where my brain's at. Cool. So let's talk a little bit more about the the book that's currently on Kickstarter, Harvest Moon. Um, can you uh, give me sort of an elevator pitch? I mean, I read a, a brief synopsis on the on the uh, intro of the podcast, but could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Elevator Pitch is a um, grizzled former detective is drawn back into a into a copycat killer case, and uh, you know he's a guy who's suffering from some uh, nasty alcoholism and PTSD, and he discovers that the killer is actually a werewolf. And uh, he, he has to figure out if it's his own insanity pushing him to this or if this is a real thing. And uh, he's, he's kind of racing against time to, to do it because he believes that uh, this thing is after his only son. And it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's really a story about a father and son and the, mon- the literal monster that's between them. So that's, that's kind of what we got going on with that. That that sounds awesome. Uh, so, do you do things like uh, you know research, uh, law enforcement, uh, maybe try to talk to to somebody who was a detective or something to sort of you know give it a little bit of real world sort yeah. of bend to it, and then sort of you know with good storytelling make it make it interesting, bend it a little bit. I spend a ton of time researching, like just things in general. I spend a ton of time in, on Google Maps you know, so I can get the, the, so I can try to write as realistic to the, the world that I'm literally the world that I'm standing in as much as possible. Um, I read a lot, you know, I'll watch documentaries, you know, just try to try to piece together as much of it as I can to make it, make it seem as, as close to believable as I possibly can. Like, you know, when you're writing a monster story, there's, you know, certain amount of leeway, but you try to ground that in as much reality as you possibly can. So yeah, I did, I did quite a bit of research on how to be on, on, um, on being a detective, I did a ton of research into uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and what it feels like for people with PTSD. Um, as, a, as a high school wrestling coach, one of my kids, suffered, one of my former kids suffered from bad PTSD. And we did a few interview segments where he would talk about the triggers and he would talk about sights and smells and hallucinations he would have. So that helped me a lot as far as creating a, uh, a character that, that, felt like, that felt real in all this. I think as much, there's much reality as you can ground into these fantastic stories. It makes it seem a little bit more believable. Like, like I like trying to write as much of a real world as you can. Just the, the, the weird stuff happens kind of behind your shoulder when you're not looking. That's, that's kind of the goal I try to do with, with my writing. But yeah, I, I try to, I try to do as much as research as possible without, you know, without like getting too buried in research. Cause I mean, same time you, you have to get stuff done. Yeah. Like, you know, so did I remember correctly from what you were saying that uh, Harvest Moon is the, the first book in a series? Harvest Moon is a standalone, but one okay. of the characters, one of the characters and it spins off into his own series. Like um, not the lead character, one of our side characters, his name is Ethan Jericho. He's an assassin who's paid by a believer who thinks this is an actual werewolf. So like Jack Shane, our lead character is actually racing against this, uh, this legitimate assassin to stop this werewolf. 
Um, from there, he's, the Ethan Jericho character spins off into his own books. We have four books out right now. They're called the Books of Jericho. They're actually available with the Kickstarter campaign. So if you're interested in buying just Harvest Moon, that's cool. We have a tier level where you can buy Harvest Moon and then the four-volume Books of Jericho series, which deal with the, the fallout and, and the, this supernatural world that, that kind of comes out of this whole thing. And that's going to be a nine-book series. I've got, the, I've got books five through nine plotted out. just started working on book five this past week, actually. So, yeah. So that's that's pretty interesting because I, I feel like somebody who's planning out a nine book series, it would be very similar to somebody in comics that was planning out like a like a maybe like a nine issue sort of like, you know, company wide like event. Say like if you were like Jason Aaron and you were handling like the main sort of Marvel event and, and they said you got 10 books to to do this in, I would think that that planning process would be very similar to, to mapping out a, a nine book prose series. Absolutely. Whereas um, it like, especially when it comes to like doing the big events, like, cause you have like civil war and then you have all the offshoots that come off it, but they tie back into the main story. Each of these books exists on their own, but it's the journey of the character going from step to step to step to step. Right. So you could, and I've had, surprising to me, I've had people pick up book four, follow it, enjoy it, and then go back and read the rest of them, which is mm -hmm. something I didn't expect to happen. But I've talked to readers who, who said that. So, I mean, like, it, they all link together. Like, I'm a, being a comic fan, huge fan of continuity, especially my own continuity. Um, I've got two other series out, and they're all, they're all set in the same world without really, like, telling you that they're all set in the same world. But there's, like, little things here and there that make you connect like like places or events or certain phrases I'll use. And I'll hear from readers sometimes like, Oh, I caught that. I caught what you said there with this. I'm like, Oh, cool. You, you get it. So again, that's all, that's all for my love of comics. And again, I've gotten to the point where in my novels is like, if, if I'm referencing, if I'm referencing what happened in a previous book, because the ebook is cool with this, I can actually have the link inside the dialogue where I can have like a sentence that's blue highlighted that if you click, you can buy that book. And that's okay. something I got, I got from comics, you know, they had the editor's boxes, you know, mm -hmm. you know, see flash issue 123 for this. Like, and I think that's something a little bit unique. Like, I know every writer has like their backlist in the books, but I try to, I try to reference the stuff inside the work itself. So if I talk about uh, care, if we're in the devil's prayer, which is the devil, uh, the books of Jericho volume two, and I mentioned the reporter character Well, she was in Harvest Moon and she'll reference something that happened in Harvest Moon. And break, like that, that, that little passage will have a, a link inside it. So if you want to know, you click on it and you can, it takes you right to Harvest Moon. You can read that or, or buy it. So that's, that's the goal is like within the book itself to act with as like a sales funnel to your to other books. And rather than being on the top of just saying, oh, this is a link. This is a, this is a hint to this. If you want to know more about it, click here, buy here. So, I mean, that's all stuff I've stolen from, <laughs> stolen liberally from comics. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, if I didn't read comics, I, I don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of writer I would be. Nice. So with this planning out the, the nine books in the, in the books of Jericho, is that sort of something you do? Uh, is that like, like a, a document you keep on your computer? Is that like a, a notebook with like handwritten notes that uh, you sort of reference? Like if you're in working on one book, you're sort of like, you know, I'm working on this, but long-term I got to move this sort of this element or this story point so that I get to this thing at, at, at the end of nine. So I did it for the first four. Like I plotted out the first, I knew exactly where I was going to go in the first floor. And I just had uh, like a note here. This, this, this. I didn't want to, I didn't want to beat out nine books mm -hmm. if nobody was buying them. So that was like, 
I had an out at the end of book four where it could be clean, but they were working. So at the end of book four, I, I built myself in another little cliff, little cliff thing, not a big one where I could have the next ones. And then I put out another series that I was working out what I was working on and while the books, while Jericho stuff was coming out, that series has not gone as well. I put out three of those. The sales aren't as good. So I'm probably going to leave that series for a while and focus on the one that, that is selling well. Mm-hmm. So then I took the time while putting out these books because I, I plotted, okay, this is what five, six, seven, eight, nine are going to be. And I don't have them all like beaten down, but I have like, okay, here's what has to happen. A has to A to B to C on all books, A to B to C, A to B to C. And then I'll write, I've got, um, the outline of the first one, of the fifth one, I should say, done. I'm writing that book right now. I've got a good idea about the sixth one. The seventh and the eighth, the seventh, the sixth, seventh, and eighth, I know where they're going, but I haven't taken the time to, to write the outline yet because I have to kind of let things evolve within mm-hmm. the books themselves. You know, I don't want to paint myself in any corners because sometimes you write things and books take you into a different direction that you thought they were going to go. Like, even though I write from pretty strict outlines, by the time you, like, by the time you're writing it and a character's doing things, you can kind of go, this isn't working the way I thought it was going to, or this character's evolving in a different position than I expected. What should I do? Like in Snowblind, the fourth book, um, I found that I, I got a half of the book and I'm like, I need another character here. Like there's something missing. And I took, I took a few days and I just thought about stuff and I'm like, okay, this was how to make this work better. So then I had to go back and write a few more chapters to insert them just to to get where I needed to go when I felt that something was missing. So if I, if I keep myself like married to these things, then I'm, I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. But I like to, I like to, it's like having a roadmap, you know, like if I look at a roadmap, I can tell where I'm going and I can get off the highway for a little bit, go to the bathroom, get something neat, but I can get right back on the highway and know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of how I view my outlines. It's like, I know where we're going, but I just, I, sometimes I need, I might need to, I might need to veer off and I might hit construction. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I know where I'm going but maybe I don't get there the way I fully expect to. And that's happened a few times, not a lot, but there's been times I'm like, Oh, that's a surprise that this came up. Like I, I came up with a twist for devil's prayer halfway through it, where it hit me who the main character, where the main uh, antagonist, you know, how they should connect to the world. And I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. Didn't plan that, but you read the book. You wouldn't know that wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. Like it just kind of revealed itself to me as I was writing it. You know, you gotta have some flexibility, I think a little bit. And, um, that can happen a little bit easier in novels than it can in comics. You know, not, maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's just something that, you know, with art, you're kind of locked in place once something is drawn. Mm-hmm. With, with a novel, I can just go, um, I can just go copy all, delete, rewrite. <laughs> That's just a lot simpler. Nice. Um, yeah, I think uh, sometimes uh, having a little bit of the freedom, you, you get those little happy accidents where, you know, you're in there working on something and, and at the moment or maybe, you know, you wrote it down and then later you're, you're doing something else and you sort of have that, you, you know, you might be walking around, you have that eureka moment that, oh, this is how I'm, I'm going to resolve this or, oh, this is what I'm going to throw in here to, you know, add a little bit of difficulty to the situation or put the character through something. So yeah. you, you do get a little bit of, uh, it's good to have structure, but uh, like you're saying, to not be so locked in that you're, you, you, there's a, there's still an element of discovery writing there, right? Right. It's not like writing a book isn't like building a house. You know, I can, I can detour it a little bit. If I'm, if I'm building a house and like, I think I'm going to change the foundation of this house, you know, and then it's the thing crumbles, you know, books are a lot different. Books are a lot more organic, mm-hmm. you know, so you have the freedom to, to change things as long as you go back and make sure that it fits. You know, that's, what's nice about, so I'm, sometimes I don't write linear. Sometimes I will 
do everything from one character's perspective and then come back. You know, it all depends on how I'm feeling in the moment. Like again, because I have my outline, I kind of know where I'm going. Or I can I can write ten Jericho chapters in a row, or I can come back and write you know five villain chapters on his, and then I can just you know move the folders around. Scribner's really cool about that, letting you just move a folder so that you can arrange your chapters that way. And it's, it makes life a little bit easier. Sometimes not having to stick to a uh, not having to be so linear can make things a little bit easier to tell the story. Nice. So. Uh, actually, I I was thinking about something here. Uh, we're gonna hit uh, NaNoWriMo, uh here pretty soon. Do you do you? It seems like that would just it's like everyday life for you. But like, what advice would you have for somebody? I've I've tried two times and failed. Uh, do you have any any advice uh, on on how to succeed in in NaNoWriMo? With NaNoWriMo is about discipline, and it's really about building good habits. And uh, my first book, not Harvest Moon, but the first book I put out was a NaNoWriMo book. Cool. So I took that opportunity to, because I heard people writing a book in a month and I'm like, that's crazy. How do people do that? So I decided, okay, I'm going, and NaNoWriMo is a great time to learn discipline and just going through And Again, this is this my, my athlete brain. It's like, if it's important, I'll never forget this, my college wrestling coach said this to us when um, people were complaining about social life stuff and not being able to do everything they want to do. He said, what is important to you? If something is important to you, you're going to figure out a way to make it work. So for me, it's like, okay, I don't watch a lot of TV. You know, I have to dedicate time to read. Um, I have to dedicate time to go to the gym and I have to take care of my kid. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that's not important goes by the wayside. And that's what it's, it's all about. It's all about figuring out, like I literally say, what is important to you? What are your goals? If you're doing something that isn't helping you get to your goal, why are you doing it? You know, and you can't live by that every day. But I mean, like the key is to be consistent. If you can be good about it five days a week, great. Like if you're going to write a, a, a like I think 50,000 words is what they go for for NaNoWriMo. So you got to get about, what's it like, 2,000, 2,500 words a day, something like that. Like stick to it. If you only got 1,000 done today, dedicate the time to make up for it. Use Saturdays and Sundays as catch-up days. And just do that. And it's hard, man. We all have lives. We all have like families. We all have things that, that are important to us. But I've, man, I've heard from writers who, I've heard from people who've written books on phones, on trains. I've, I know people that have, I've tried it, that dictate. I can't, I'm not very good at dictating. My brain doesn't function like that. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've tried it. But I know people that, that talk all their books through. Wow. I, I couldn't do it. Like I said, I spent money on the software and, and tried it. And it, for me, I just, it just left me all jumbled. And when they try to do the, 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 the uh, dictation process of writing the words down, just it was, more trouble that I was spending more time fixing than I was actually writing. So that wasn't for me, but I know people that works really well for. So it's all about find, finding what works best for you mm-hmm. and then doing it from there. Yeah. You know, I think Kevin Anderson, he, he just talks his books and he sends them off to, to a, to a, uh, a typing service and they type it out for him. I mean, again, he's got the money to be able to do that, sure. but it works, it works for him. So, I mean, like figuring out the best way to do it, like, if you have an hour a day, utilize that hour, you know, make that, like I said, I got to the point where I can get in 45 minutes time, I can get a thousand words done. You know, so I know if I only have an hour, I can at least get a thousand words. And then when the book's done, when you have the draft done, take a break a little bit, you know, relax a little bit. Maybe I usually take about three or four days off before getting into the editing process, you know, cause it's hard, man. When you're, when you're in the process of writing a first draft, it's, it's, it's the hardest part is just getting it done, getting it on the page. And don't worry about getting it on the page. Whatever stays on the page, let it be on the page. Fix it later. 
Just, yeah, I think there's a like a Neil Gaiman quote that's sort of like you have to to have to have a second draft, you have to have sort of the 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 crappy exactly. first draft. Exactly, and everybody writes bad first draft. So many writers are afraid to write something bad, and I'm and I don't I get why, but you can't be afraid to hit make something bad. I started out in film, like I went to film school, and I remember the first movie I, I an independent movie I made on my own, I premiered, and it was an absolute disaster. Nothing went right. It was humiliating, embarrassing. I literally had like 500 people in this theater that I recruited, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. But after that, I'm like, well, it'll never be that bad. Nice. I'll never, I will never have a moment that bad with anything creative I've ever, I'll ever do again. So I got, so that's a, a freeing thing to know that like any failure you have, you're going to come back from and everybody does something bad. Everybody writes bad stories. Everybody, you know, has ideas that aren't as good as they thought. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Like I said, I love Stephen King. The Duma key is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's not a good book. <laughs> like, like, and that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with, with doing something bad. That's something that writers have to accept. It's like not everything you write is going to connect with people. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. They you know, do something else. And as long as that gets, when you accept that, it's free. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I'm, I'm working in comics, like I've had conversations with, with artists that I've worked on where like, you know, I've compared notes and I've, I'm expecting that the, that the artist is going to, you know, be working on page, let's just say nine. And then the morning I wake up and page three has been redrawn because the artist was like, I didn't quite like the way that that guy's face looked. So I went back and I, I read, you know, I, I, I doodled it again or I, I cleaned it up in Photoshop. And I was like, but I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to do nine, you know, three was three was done. And, you know, there's sort of like, there's also a saying that done, not perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you gotta balance that a little bit. I mean, don't, you want to improve, you want to, you want to put out good stuff, but you don't want to just sort of, sort of have that uh, paralysis by analysis by not, you know, completing things or, or not, uh, you know, moving forward. And that's a thing. Like, I get both sides of that. And this is one reason I am doing novels at the moment is um, I don't see getting frustrated working with artists. But I mean, like, when it comes to speed, is I, I'm like, I like to, to move. And artists can't do that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, you have to work really hard. And a lot of times, I got, like, buddies, comics, comics uh, launch buddies that, that put out three or four Kickstarters a year. And there's, like, three or four issues. And I just, I can't move that slow, personally. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Like, my, I'm, I'm, I have too much ADD. So... I understand where you're coming from. It's like, I thought we were doing nine today, but I also get where that, where the artist is like, well, this wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, what's nice enough about being an independent writer is I can put a book on Amazon. Right. And I can change it whenever I want. You know, I can change whatever I want. And sure. for most people, they aren't going to know that I did it. Like if you read, if, if you read version a version, a is what you read and nothing's going to change that, but I can throw out versions B, C and D and make those changes. That's what's happening. Actually, Harvest Moon's a good example. I put out a reward tier that allowed two people to become victims of this werewolf. Well, the book's been out for a year and those guys had names, but I just made um, almost, I made like 500 bucks by letting people tell me like change the name. So, okay. I go in, I change the name in the description. It doesn't change my story in the slightest, but I just made money doing, you know what I'm saying? Like at some point you got to think like something of a business. So, I mean, that's, what's nice is I have that flexibility. I put more money in my pocket by doing that. And the people who've read the older version of it, yeah, they're not going to have that. It's going to be different, but anyone who reads it afterwards is going to see those characters. You know what I'm saying? And like, Mm -hmm. 
I, the way I look at it is I, I won business wise on that by making a smart business decision, put out the new book and eh, that's different, but I don't think it's going to change one person's you know, like, or, or dislike of my book because of that, you know? Yeah. So uh, I think another crossover that we have here and uh, that, you know, there's always a saying that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you know, uh, a, a novel or something that's on Amazon or a comic sitting on a rack, it's got to attract somebody's attention. So how do you go about finding your, your cover art for, for your books? This has been the thing. This is the, the cover for Harvest Moon is the entire reason I did this Kickstarter. Um, I'm a firm believer in a minimum viable product, right? Do what you can do when you, when, where you're at on the level, mm-hmm. right? Don't let it stop you. If I couldn't afford the best carver, I'll just get one that's pretty good. My first Harvest Moon cover was pretty good. I liked it. It didn't cost me a lot of money. I'm not going to say what it costs because it might make some people angry, but I got a great deal on it. But um, after a certain, you know, it reached a certain point on Amazon. And then I had someone, I'm like, okay, why can't this get any higher? Like, why can't I grow this? And they're like, well, it's a good cover, but it's not a great cover. Like you have a werewolf book, but your werewolf's very small. And on Amazon, your things are this big. You have to make an impression. You know, your wolf's got to be bigger. And I went, well, shit. Now I got to spend money. So I went to my, uh, my artist from Deluge, Rich Clark. And I said, I need a cover. And he's like, okay, we worked out a deal. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to pay for this? Kickstarter. So the, the reason we had a small ask on this Kickstarter was that 100% of the ask went to paying for, for this cover, right? Now I've got a much better cover. It hasn't been on Amazon quite yet, but I know when it gets there, just based on the other covers and the genre that I've studied, in my opinion, this is the best. So in theory, I've spent money but I've bought, I've, I've, you know, we have, we've, we've quadrupled our ask right now. So now mm-hmm. I'm in the, I'm in profit. I'm good. I paid for what needed to be paid for. So that's what it came to. And then with my Jericho is the same thing. Like the covers were reading straight thriller, not supernatural thriller, but I couldn't drop 500 bucks on every cover. So I went back to the original artist and I specifically said, okay, a level we're doing, I need new covers. It needs to be more like this, this, and this. And I worked with them and they put out new covers for these Jericho books that I think are hitting on the tropes of what sell in the genre. Because your cover should be whatever, like people go, oh, I don't want it to look the same. I'm like, well, if it doesn't look the same as everything else, people who like those things might not know what it is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, and the way I look at it is the cover, what's on the cover doesn't change what's inside the book. But if you're not going to, if what's on the cover is going to stop you from buying it, I need to, I need to think like a businessman and not an artist. So I mean, it is like that in, in comics. How many people buy comics because they like the cover artist and it has nothing to do with what's, what's inside of the book. How many times have you seen a cover that has a scene that has absolutely nothing to do with what's inside the book? It doesn't matter. It's what, that's what you have to do to sell. And that's exactly, that's exactly what got me into this situation to begin with is I had to level up my covers and I had to level up my book descriptions. So that's the, the entire impetus of all this. Okay, got to fix my covers, got to fix my book descriptions. Because if I can't get people in the door, like I've got like 50 some uh, five-star reviews on Amazon, you know, for an independent book, it's pretty good. But if I can't, if I can't entice the customer who likes that stuff to buy it, like on Inpick, if I can't make them click that, that, um, if I can't make them click that link to check it out, to buy it, to even entertain the notion of buying it, what am I doing? So, I mean, especially with this werewolf book, I needed a big gory werewolf to like sell what this is. And Rich is an awesome artist and, and we have that now. 
So now, you know, that's, that's everything. Like the, 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 the cliche is don't judge a book by its cover, but what else do you have to judge a book by? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. You know? I, I, like, even if you think about like, uh, I know like for, for comics covers, like a lot of, you know, a lot of thought is the, the way that that logo is going to sit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the upper third, because a lot of times if it's sitting on a rack, that's, that's all you're going to be able to see. And they need to, even with that, that upper third, they need you to, be you know you need you need your eye to catch it so you reach for it and you pull it up and you see the whole thing so there's a lot of thought that goes into that kind of stuff and that mentality has traveled into uh did the digital sphere too where because our eyes are trained to look at the top third for that title that even on amazon you're going to see the vast majority of books that's where the cover that's where the title is because our eye is trained to look at that and if you see books that don't have that it's like there's a subliminal thing in your brain. I actually learned this. There's a subliminal thing in your brain that, that turns you off to it right away. So you date a great book. You might ignore because the cover, because the title isn't in the right place mm-hmm. or what your brain associates to be the right place. So there's a lot of subliminal, like there's a lot of subliminal stuff that goes on with cover design to begin with. And it's, it's definitely like, I know there's people out there in, in, in my world that try to do their own covers. I wouldn't recommend that. You know, but I also say if you need, if you want to put something out and get started, don't spend five hundred to a thousand dollars on a cover because you mm-hmm. might not make that back. Like I'm lucky that I've got friends because I'm a, I am a comics guy at heart. Like I've got friends and I've got tricks that can pay it back. So for me, I got this. I leveled up my cover. And it really didn't cost me anything other than some time. You know, so you got to be you got to be smart, and economical with how you do these things. Very cool. Well, I uh, I had a great time talking to you. Yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued, um, and I think what we what we found here is is that uh, you know there's a lot of common elements in just you know just storytelling in general, um, and you can do it in a number of fashions. You can do it in the you know the the novel fashion. The you know a lot of folks that are in the comics uh, started off with a with a love of film, and it sounds like you were you were the same way. Yeah, so. Same. I, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. Um, as we close up, um, the Kickstarter has about six days. So uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, I guess the best way for anybody would be to just to go to Kickstarter and search for, yeah. for Harvest Moon, right? Yeah. Just go to Kickstarter, hit Harvest Moon. Uh, if it's easy, I'm on Twitter at JD underscore Oliva. Like um, I've got it all over the place. We've got a Facebook page that that's at the moment dedicated to this. So I mean like the best thing to do is go to Kickstarter, look up Harvest Moon. Uh, the, the campaign is going very well. Like I, again, we had very low expectations because it's an experiment. The mm-hmm. pro space on Kickstarter is one of the smallest spaces. Like I'm come from comics where everything's a monster number. Like yeah. with pros, it's, it's way different. It's, it's very much uncharted territory, man. I've got people yelling at me. I actually got yelled at in one of the Facebook groups for doing a Kickstarter with a novel. Like I was told you didn't do the work. I'm like, screw you. I did I wrote five books and paid for all this stuff out of pocket. Don't get mad. Cause I had a better month than you did based on the Kickstarter campaign. Like, so it's, it's very, the, the, the publishing world has to adjust to what, what Kickstarter is doing. And the comics world was way, it was a way early editor adapter of, of this new way of marketing and, and publishing has got to get on board. Cause this is just the future. So please come to the Kickstarter. That's what I, that's my last pitch. 
Awesome. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, we're going to put a link uh, to to your social media and to the, to the Kickstarter in the, uh, the show notes for this podcast. Um, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, uh, we're on Twitter at ConstructCom Pod. We're on Instagram is Constructing Comics. Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. Um, also, while we're talking Kickstarters, uh, I'm working on a Kickstarter as a publisher uh, called Dino Thrashers that is drawn by Noah, who is normally my, my co-host here on this podcast. Um, so we're going to have links to, to that as well in the show notes. Uh, but JD, I'd like to thank you for being on. You have an open invite to come back and talk thanks, story man. anytime you want. Um, so everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, be nice to each other. Be safe and go out there and make some, make some art.